thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of the Bakari Sellers Podcast. I am so grateful for all of your support. We've been looking at the numbers from the show, and uh, you know most places have dipped uh, since Trump left, and we've we've suffered a little drop off. But I can tell you that uh, many of you all have stayed with us, and so I'm so grateful for all of your support, love, sending us recommendations, people walking up to me in the street saying I listen to the podcast. It warms my spirit. And today is one of these special shows we get to bring you where um, we get to interview somebody who we grew up with. Um, We get to understand the complexity and the depth of who uh, iconic actor and author Omar Epps is. And he's going to talk about his new project, uh, Power Three Raising Canaan. Uh, But before, and you know how we do this on this show, before we get to Omar, I wanted to talk about the latest from Washington, D.C., particularly what looks like Democrats possibly getting a major infrastructure package passed, as well as key parts of President Biden's American Families Plan passed. In case you missed it, this week, Senate Majority Leader Schumer got one step closer to getting a multi-billion dollar infrastructure measure passed that would invest billions in our roads, bridges, and broad brand infrastructure. Necessary to say right here, Flint still don't have clean water. And Democrats are working feverishly on a potentially $3.5 trillion package that would invest in childcare, community college, healthcare, and housing. The kind of social infrastructure that we all want to see the government invest in. Why? Because it comes with a great ROI. This is good stuff for sure. If congressional Democrats get these measures passed this year and get the president's budget across the line, we'll see a potentially generational spend in communities across the country. And when you're at the country club, when you're talking to your friends who may not think like you sometimes, you need to say that watch the stock market soar and watch people actually get dollars in their pockets, get back to work. And I actually think Democrats should be commended for this. But I don't want to take a victory lap if they get these things done. And the reason why is a point I've raised before on this podcast Lots of things were on the ballot in 2020. A real response to COVID was on the ballot. Investments in the country we want were on the ballot. Decency was on the ballot. And this administration has accomplished this in spades. What we haven't seen is a similar commitment beyond speeches on these justice issues. Student debt relief isn't going to happen. Voting rights and police reform similarly are unlikely to pass legalizing cannabis and even consideration of reparations or D.C. statehood has similarly run into the buzzsaw of moderate democratic politics. The same with expanding the federal judiciary and gutting the filibuster or at least modifying it. And that's the Democrats Achilles heel in 2022. We went heavy on the issues that we think secure voters are already likely to vote for us. Read moderate white suburban who aren't looking to return to the party of election deniers and insurrectionists. We're going light on justice issues that matter to the base of the party in black voters and the future of the party in young voters. Well, it's a short-sighted strategy that will likely fall on deaf ears if Democrats don't take a hard pivot after these legislative victories and drill down into these justice issues in 2022. Delivering on both the recovery and investing in the country we want to see has to be complemented by an acknowledgement and progress on the issues that drove voters to the polls in 2020. And that's that on that. Now on to our interview with Omar Epps. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got 
a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on, I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Man, I want to say thank you to Omar Epps for stopping through the Bakari Sellers podcast, man. It is an honor and a privilege to have you on. What's going on, my brother? How are you? I'm good, man. I'm good. It's an honor to be here with you. You know, I appreciate everything you do for us, the culture, and just people in general. Like you, you, You're very articulate and grounded, and, and, and it's much appreciated. Well, that means a lot, man. You know, most times when, when I start the show, I like to introduce our guests by having them walk through their careers, but... You're Omar, Omar Epps, so everybody knows you. What, what they may not know, though, is uh, what made you first get into acting? And what was the moment where you realized that this is what you wanted to do? Talk about that moment when you decided that acting was your calling and how you landed that first role as Q in Juice, which was how wow. many of us were first introduced to you. Well, it's a couple of moments for me. It was, first of all, you know, um, you know I, I, my mom was, was an educator growing up in New York city. And, and so, and she was an English teacher at first. I mean, she ended up being, you know, superintendent and all that stuff, but, you know, so I've, I've read a lot in my life and I, I was really into the literary world. So I've been writing poetry my whole life. And then that kind of went into like, you know, writing raps, which is poetry, you know, and then the acting sort of became an extension of that because I started writing these stories. I didn't know how to write yet. I just was, you know, having these creative visions and stuff like that. And acting became an extension of that. But and so I said, it's a couple of moments because then, you know, me growing up watching Sidney Poitier, you know, who is who is my acting hero, you know, uh, above all, you know, just growing up watching his his grace, his his eloquence, his his power, you know, it just kind of struck me. And then in junior high school, I got the opportunity to try to, you know, we were auditioning for roles in the high school play we were doing. I mean, the junior high school play we were doing Grease. And um, <laughs> and so we did Grease and I got the role of duty, this dude named Duty. Right. But I wanted to play like the main dude. Yeah. And it was a dude named Errol Graves. And uh, salute to you wherever you at, Errol Graves, because thank you for this inspiration, because Errol Graves got the, the main role. And that motivated me because I was so mad. <laughs> <laughs> he don't even know. He, 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 he yeah. motivation. <laughs> I was like, man, Errol Gray's got the main role. And so, but, but also being on stage for the first time, 
having that experience with the audience, you know, seeing people laugh or whatever they may be experiencing emotionally, having that emotional connection with the audience just inspired me, man, to be honest with you. And then Spike Lee, you know, and the power of power, the power of beautiful black imagery. I mean, it sat into my soul, you know, the Mm -hmm. first time I watched do the right thing or school days, or that's when I started to realize there's a power in this that can inspire people. Cause that's really what all I'm about is, is trying to use my art as a weapon to inspire and motivate people so we can live our best lives. You know what I'm saying? So can you rap though? I mean, I, you, you just sped, you just sped past that though. Yeah. I mean, you know, you could Google it. (laughs) (laughs) You could Google it. I just had a joint out with Case Clay. Uh, it's called 110 and you know, I mean, people see, I ain't no slack. Oh, I, I mean, I, I hear you. I hear you. My favorite question for actors that come on my show, and it's something that I asked Cicely Tyson. We were able to, to interview Cicely the week, uh, the week that she actually passed. But what do you uh, have to see in a project or in a script before you decide to do it? And were there ever any roles that you turned down that you later wish you had taken? Well, there's many things that go into that, right? Like, because there's so many moving parts to this thing. Like, you know, for me... I try to stay that 17 year old kid with a drink Mm -hmm. and I just try to stay that. And it's like, if I connect to the, the project and I connect to the character and things of that nature, but now that I'm, I've been doing this for 30 years, I'm able to have a bit of omnipresence in terms of the the power that this project can have. So I think about a a gazillion other things as well. Um, But at the end of the day, I really try to come back to that 17-year-old kid that, hey, oh, this is dope. Like the first time I read Juice, I was like, oh, yeah, I get it. This is dope. Even though the script was like, you know, Ernest Dickinson and, and, and salute to him, you know, they wrote the script and they wrote it in like the 80s or something. So the original <laughs> dialogue was like, hey, you job turkey. And he was like, nice. <laughs> I had no <laughs> idea. <laughs> yeah. He was like, that's not how we was. They was like, yeah, don't worry about the words. Just, you know, what's <laughs> supposed to be said, just say it your way. And then I, and, and honestly, I've never had the experience of turning down um, anything that I wish I had. Now I went up for dead presidents. Now that was a flip side of it. Well, that was something that I wanted. And I went in there and I did my audition. I didn't get it. Oh my and then goodness. I saw the movie and it was fire. I was like, <laughs> I'm sitting in the seat smoking like, oh, I knew this was going to be fire. You know, but but that's how the, the ball bounces sometimes, man. It's, it's, it's all, it's like a roller coaster ride. You've had so many iconic roles from Q and Juice to Darnell Jefferson in the program to Willie Mays Hayes in Major League Two. To the wood, higher learning, loving basketball. I mean, you practically owned a decade or two. What do you think helps explain how you ended up with so many iconic roles? And was there ever a moment when you were playing these characters where you felt at the time that that role would become iconic? Or are you just surprised naturally by how fans respond to certain projects? When I asked Anaya about about loving basketball, she was like, the basketball for her was so tough that she didn't really pay attention to the impact. I mean, it's it's a classic. So how do you feel in those moments? I mean, you don't you don't feel it in the moments because in the moments you, you're, you're just uh, having the experience. You're living in the journey. And for me, again, going back to Sidney Poitier, going back to the Spike Lees, going back to the Denzel's like 
try, I know that I've experienced moments that have still lived with me to this day, you know, and I realized that I had the opportunity to possibly create moments like that for generations to come. So mm -hmm. that's why I take my stuff so seriously. And that's why I did it in those moments. But, but, you know, back in the day, first coming up, you don't know nothing. You know what I mean? And it's like being young is kind of a, a great force field <laughs> to all, you know, to, to the, all of the, the, the obstacles in this business of how to actually make, cause there's a difference between getting a job and having a career. You yeah, know what I mean? That's, yeah. Trust so, me. Yeah. And making a career out of this thing was sort of, I was always looking at the marathon of it. I was always looking at the long, the long goal. And, and I kind of look at my career like a, a mosaic mm. and each project is just a, a piece of the puzzle. And so it's half filled now and you know, I'm, I'm going to fill this other half, but you know, you never, you never know, uh, you know, you, you're never really thinking this can have the impact of X, Y, Z, because there's so many variables. Like you brought up love and basketball, you know, when we made love and basketball at the time, you know, it, it had a good response and things like that, but they weren't talking about it back then, how they talk about it now. But the thing that connected me to love and basketball was how, when I first read the script, I loved how the women were highlighted and the power of womanhood mm -hmm. was highlighted because I come from a family of powerful black women. And I love that spin at the, the, that final image is, oh, he's supporting her. Correct he didn't make it and now they have the kid and and i connected to that even though at the time i didn't have kids that's why and it's so lasting I'm, too though i mean that's why exactly. that still is so lasting exactly i mean but you there are two things i want to ask that 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 you brought up i mean you really stretched yourself though in major league too because you showed <laughs> you showed a portion of yourself that you're not necessarily known for but you played the hell out of that role what made you want to take on what is not slapstick but is a comedy that is still here with us today it's all loyalty that's all that was so david ward wrote and uh, directed the program uh which was my second movie he wrote and directed major league two and then when we were doing the program i don't know what was going on on his end or whatever but he was like yo we about to do this sequel you know would you want to you know play this role and internally i'm like hell no you, you can't follow <laughs> wesley snipes like wesley's like a god to me like what yeah. are you talking about yeah but out of my 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 loyalty and respect for him you know what i mean i was just like all right well you know let's let's figure it out let's take the journey and, and go on this ride and you know like i said it's a roller coaster man it paid hey, hey that was a that was a good gamble now but in, in one of the other things how do you um, I was talking to Jamie Hector about this, but how do you balance the time that we're in being a black male in this industry and the images you portray? Like, for lack of a better term, I, I, is I don't see Omar Epps doing a BAPS 2, right? Just right. that type of film. I mean, but do you do you feel that pull on your art and you having to portray or live up to what black men should be? That's a great question. I don't, personally feel a pull on my art, but it's all encompassing. What I do feel, because I've been doing this since I was 17 years old. So I got 30 years in. So I'm very well aware of the power of that imagery. And so for me, it's about the choices that we make and what are we trying to say? You know, the favorite thing 
that I have about my career. It's not about, you know, doing this movie, getting this check. It's about when someone comes up to me, specifically a black man, and they might have tears in their eyes and they might be the most super gangster you ever met. And they say, hey, man, this scene in that film, when Mm -hmm. the character said this, that motivated me. That got me through. I was about to give up. Things are like that. And I and I get the reason why that resonates with me is because, I, as I told you before, my mother's educator. So my first five years in this business, you know, I'm from New York, Brooklyn, born and raised. Most of the people that came up to me was talking about my mother. Yeah. Oh, you. Oh, yeah. Bonnie. Are you yeah, such a such son? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you such a such son? Yo, tell her. Bakari said, what's up? <laughs> yeah. Like, and if it wasn't for when she told me this in this moment, I wouldn't be here. But I'm OK now. Like, I got a job now. I'm doing this now. I'm raising my family now. I think so that that power has always resonated and permeated in my spirit. And again, I come back to using that phrase art is a weapon because it is. Because when you study all of ancient culture, the way that the world has progressed has consistently been through art. It's been through thought. It's been through that imagery like, oh, never thought about it from that perspective. Never thought about it from that perspective. And this is how we get to learn each other as human beings and as as a culture in general. Hi, it's Stephen Colbert, and I'm here to tell you about The Late Show Pod Show, which is the podcast of The Late Show with me, Stephen Colbert. And I'm here with my uh, producer of the podcast, Becca. Hi, Becca. Hi, Stephen. So what do people get when they listen to The Late Show Pod Show? Let's, let's sell this thing. The extended moments, for sure, because we run out of time for broadcast, but we have plenty of time on the podcast. It's kind of like being a live audience member of the show because you get things that no one else hears. Listen to The Late Show Pod Show with Stephen Colbert wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by ZipRecruiter. When you want the best, you have to act fast, especially when hiring for your business. You want to find the most talented people before the competition scoops them up. And the best way to do that? ZipRecruiter. ZipRecruiter finds top talent fast. In fact, four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. And right now, you can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash Spotify. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Oh, such a clutch pickup, Dave. I was worried we'd bring back the same team. I meant those blackout motorized shades. Blinds.com made it crazy affordable to replace our old blinds. Hard to install? No, it's easy. I installed these and then got some for my mom, too. She talked to a design consultant for free and scheduled a professional measure and install. Hall of Fame son. They're the number one online retailer of custom window coverings in the world. Blinds.com is the GOAT. The GOAT. Go to Blinds.com for up to 45% off. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. Brings me to what we're to talk about today. You're the newest role, uh, your newest role uh, as a part of the Power family as Howard yep. on Power Book 3. Tell me, what is this about and who is Howard? What's Raising Canaan about and who is Howard? <laughs> well, Raising Canaan is, is super dope. It's basically the origin story of Canaan. So if people, if uh, they are Power fans and they watch the original Power, you know the monster and the brute that Canaan was as mm-hmm. a character. This story is an exploration of the innocent teenager that he once was. Like we all have a story. We all have a journey. We all have, uh, have a beginning. And it's like this kid who's growing up in this single parent household who's just trying to figure it out is an awkward, you know, goofy ass teenager. Like we all were that, Correct. you know, at a point. And he's figuring out under the circumstances that he's in. And then Detective Howard 
uh, I call him the octopus uh, because he, he's got tentacles everywhere. And so, you know, this is a guy who, so the show takes place in the nineties, but he's from two, you know, generations before. So, you know, everything that you see happening that's cool in the show, he's unfamiliar with, you know, he, he, <laughs> yeah. he, he was, He's like a Marvin Gaye, Al Green guy. It's like, what's all this hippity? He's an old head. He's an old head. Yeah, That's what it is. He's an old head. But, you know, he, he's, he's from the streets. But at the same time, you know, he's NYPD detective, but he's a massive manipulator. And his whole uh, his whole intent is to manipulate everything uh, to his own benefit. And then as people watch, tune in on stars. Ah, uh-uh. Um, (laughs) but, um, you know, his power gets ripped away from him in the first season and he has to figure out how to get that back. What's it about this role as Howard in power book three that, that attracted you to do this project? What, what jumped off the screen or the page to you? Well, what jumped off the page to me was like the first time Sasha Penn and I had a conversation, Sasha, Sasha Penn's our showrunner, uh, created the show and he just kind of ran down his vision of what he was trying to do and what he was trying to capture. And, and I thought it was profound. I thought, you know, to have a, this perspective uh, from this character's outlook, especially being a black man, being NYPD, you know, w- when all of those things started to sort of yeah. compound on top of each other about where we're at right now, I was just like, man, the, the, the timing is right for something like this um, to explore specifically from that point of view. And then also, you know, obviously the opportunity to work with Courtney Kemp, uh, yeah. who I think is is brilliant, you know, obviously 50, you know, genius. And just all the pieces started to fall in place. And, um, you know, so I was like, all right, let's let's go is do it, this thing. Is there any pressure jumping into a, a, a series that's been ongoing? It already has a dedicated viewership and a fan base. Is there any added pressure just entering into this fray where people, they know who you are, but still, I mean, they got their own thing going. Yeah, it's I mean, it, if you take it like that, for me, it was no pressure because this Raising Canaan is its own show within the power universe. But it's its own thing. And it's just such an interesting take on, you know, how, you know, the human journey. Right. Like like Canaan in power was such a, a, a I mean, it, it was just such an extreme character, mm-hmm. you know, that the the notion of like. Well, who was he as a kid? Like, yeah. Who was he around? What was his family like? How did he end up like this? Yeah, exactly. Like that was so interesting to me that I think it creates its own universe within that. And then the opportunity to 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 dance with Patina Miller, man, like she, when you talk about a force of nature as an actress, man, she is incredible. She plays Rock, uh, yeah, which is yeah. Kane's mother. Yeah. How much of raising Kanan is a reflection of? of one of its creators in 50 and how much fun is it to do a project that's connected to such a unique entertainment figure in New York city. I mean, who is, is a legend. One of the greatest rap albums of all, all time was get rich or die trying. How was it to work with 50 somebody who is now, and he learned, I guess he learned he couldn't, he is an actor, but he's now in your world. Every actor, every every rapper (laughs) wants to be an actor, right? Like, or a basketball player, but now he's in your world. And a lot of actors want to be rappers. <laughs> yeah, <that's, laughs> I wasn't going to add yo, that. 50, 50, <laughs> listen, man, 50's a genius, man. And I'm so proud of that brother, uh, not because of uh, his 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 uh, material success, but because of his evolution as a human being. Yeah. And he's been through so much. And when you sit down with his brother and you talk to him, he's so smart. It's 
off the charts. It, it kind of reminds me of like how Tupac was, you know, he was just so smart, you know, about the world and history and things and the way that we perceive things. And so, you know, Raising Canaan is kind of slightly an ode to his upbringing. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, you know, his, his familial circumstances were rough, you know, and, and they were unique, but it was what it was, you know, and he figured out a way to make it through. And so we're kind of trying to tell that story of how Canaan made it through. I mean, you know, the end, but this is the beginning. And I guess you see where he kind of veered off a little bit. You see how how yeah. it all happened. Yeah, you yeah. Can see, you can That's see that statement. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> how could I know you said stars? Tell them more. You can watch Power Book Three on Stars, right? Yeah, it's on Stars. Uh, stars play for the international crowd. Um, yeah, man, we outside. Then we, if if y'all get y'all shots, we can keep our asses outside. But people tripping. Yeah. <laughs> so one of the things I, I like to do with the podcast is to highlight black authors too. And you've got a book under your belt, in from fatherless to fatherhood. Uh, yeah. Why'd you write that book? And talk a bit about your fatherhood journey as the as a father of a sixteen year old and two and a half year old twins. Uh, that's yeah. that that kind of as we say down south, it kind of sticks with my ribs with your writing. So talk about that book for a second. Yeah. So my kids, I got a 22 year old, 17 year old, 13 year old. You got grown. Um, you got adults over yeah, there. It's, it's a it's a whole <laughs> thing, man. I'm not ready for it yet. My 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 17 year old is about to go for her driving test. Let's not get into that. <laughs> I'll start crying and punching the wall at the same time. Man, wait till you get that first. Ins- <laughs> wait till you get that insurance bill. Man, you're gonna be like, I, what? I, what in the yeah, world? <laughs> I, I know from the oldest one. But what inspired me to write that book was my son. Honestly, he's he's my youngest child, and and uh, uh, you know, I grew up without a father. I didn't know my father, and when my son was like two, you know, I I was working and you know doing my normal thing, and I came in the house one day and. You know, my wife was like, you know, I, you know, I just I turn on CNN, you know, give me a little glass of wine. I'm trying to unwind, you know, and, um, you know, she said, hey, you know, he's still up. He's up in the room and stuff like that. And I'm like, yeah, I'll get up there and then whatever. And she kind of got aggravated and I got aggravated at her getting aggravated. Like, and I thought in my head, at least I'm here, yeah. you know, and in that thought uh reverberated through my it just echoed in my in my mind for like you know two weeks like with this because obviously I love my son to pieces I love all my kids to pieces like you know and I was just like man where does that come from you know and I started this exploration of self basically to sort of unpack some things for myself that that I hadn't dealt with a lot of the trauma like I have this saying like we especially as black people we rationalize our trauma. And so like growing up, you know, I only knew two of my homies that knew their fathers and they yeah. were the weirdos. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Nah, that like, dude right were, there, that dude right there got up. He going home to a mama and daddy, man. What you talking? Yeah. I, yeah, I was like, like what yeah. You, you see what I'm saying? And, and so as I started, I just started writing, man. I just started writing and trying to figure out where did that thought come from? And then halfway through, I, thought to myself, like, man, maybe my my story can be a tool of inspiration to others, you know, whether a, a brother doesn't have children, whether they have child, whether they have a child and, you know, the relationship is dissolved and all of those type of things. But I was just like, all right, well, I'm going to just continue down this path and express myself because I went through it. I lived it. 
and I know what I feel. And I know there's a lot of brothers that feel yeah. the way that I feel or have felt these emotions and things like that. So I tried to do it as, as, as best I could. And, and, um, and I'm proud because what I found was it really, at least when I was able to speak about the book, it opened up a bigger conversation in the culture. And especially with us, um, we've been through so much as a people and our family structure has been through so much as a people. Correct. It's been under attack for hundreds of years that as men now, we're kind of like hesitant to, you know, take the reins and at least take our own place, at least Correct. stand on our own square. And when I went around promoting the book, man, it would, I mean, people, it would, they should, they would shed tears and like conversations would open up about so many things. It's powerful. It's necessary too. I mean, cause we don't, there's certain emotional aspects of being a black man that we don't share or open up about. And fatherhood is something that we have to unpack. And that's why your book was so, was so valuable, I think, to the experience. Thank you, man. Thank you. I really appreciate that. And that, that's, that's all I could ever ask for is, is, um, you know, again, trying to, Right off of the coattails of my mother, that there's some kid comes up to me in ten years and say, "Hey, man, I read your book and it helped me do this with my kids." But I mean, if you read your book, then you also understand why you did so well in Juice and some of these other films where you had to play these complicated emotional figures. Yeah, you I mean, because yeah, we're not monolithic creatures. <laughs> we're not. That, that's, don't <laughs> get me started. We've been through a lot, man. <laughs> yeah, we, we, we've been through a lot and we're still going through a lot and we deal with a lot. And I, you know, and I don't want to even necessarily, like, I have to speak to my tribe first. Yeah. You know, but this is what was beautiful about, like, when I was promoting my book, man, there were people from all walks of life, you know, older, younger, white, black, Asian, it didn't matter, like, People have been through this familial sort of void, you know, when they don't when they don't have a father in their life, you know. And so it, it really just showed how humanity is that con- connective tissue of us as beings. And, and it, it, it's about having empathy and compassion and, and trying to have understanding. And so then you get into deeper conversations about, you know, how certain things are set up for certain people to experience and so forth and so on. Now, you're, you're way more of a scholar in that type of stuff than I am. But I'm saying it it, it rolls over into those conversations. And, and I think that where we're at is really about the bigger question is like, well, what are we doing? Like why, you know, when you say, why are we here? We're here to live a great life and have a great existence and to uplift one another, yeah. you know, in the ways that we can. You know what I mean? And it's about positive energy. It's not about negative energy. So, you know, I, I hope that that when it's all said and done, you know, my book is that piece, you know, in the mosaic that I spoke about that is my career. No, uh, I mean, it's a, it's, a, it's a powerful piece. I hope more people go pick it up. Let me ask you this last question before I let you go. But what's next for Omar Epps? I mean, what do you what do you have on the horizon? Any directorial things coming up? Any other books coming up? Uh, yeah, new, new big like, screen yeah, movies. Man. What's going on, man? A, a little bit of everything. So I, I um, I'm working on my next book, which is actually a young adult sci-fi fiction uh, piece. That's going to be a three-parter. I'm working on that right now. Uh, that's what I was working on in the pandemic when we sci- were shut down. Sci-fi, like black folk and sci-fi. People don't know that they're more black folk interested in sci-fi than they give us credit for. Yeah, man. Yeah, I just I've, I've been sitting on this concept for about 
12, 13 years and, you know, hey, we got shut down and something spoke yeah, to my a, spirit a, and said it's I'm time to work a- on this. I'm gonna take an edible and I'm gonna take an edible and read your sci-fi and see how see what happens. <laughs> see if yeah, I can I, go and there. I, and I just uh, we just wrapped a film that I produced uh, called "The Devil You Know." It's uh, written and directed by Charles Murray, and we got Glenn Turman in it, Vanessa Bell Calloway, oh. uh, Will Catlett, like a bunch of great. The, the cast is incredible, so we just completed that, and then you know just just writing, man, just writing, okay. producing. Got a bunch of projects, you know, set up in different places, but. You know, raising Canaan is what it is right now. Uh-uh. The raising Canaan. Everybody go watch stars, watch raising Canaan, support black folk doing their art so we can see more of it, man. Thank you, Omar Epps, for joining the Thank Bakari you, Sellers podcast, man. It's been a pleasure. I appreciate you, brother. Thank you. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of the Bakari Sellers podcast. Before I let you go. I wanted to talk about this Delta variant. And no, we're not talking about a new line that's crossing at Spelman. This is a new variant of COVID. So in case you missed it, we're not out the pandemic. Hospitals in Arkansas are full and we're seeing pockets of COVID case spikes, particularly across the unvaccinated pockets of the Deep South, which shouldn't be a surprise to anyone. If nothing else, we've been consistent on this show about folks getting vaccinated. And with flu season approaching, and variants morphing into more contagious, deadlier strands of COVID. Our only protection is the vaccine. And as a parent of young children who can't get vaccinated and want immunosuppressed, I really need selfish adults to try to think of someone other than themselves before it's too late. There's no excuse. The vaccines are plentiful everywhere in America, and you drive up and get them for free with no appointment. Please, y'all, get vaccinated. (laughs) 